Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick. It gives me great pleasure to welcome a regular guest on our program, Trevor Cobble, the National Convener for Save Our Schools, a great advocacy group for uh, Organisation for Public Education in Australia. Um, welcome to Viewpoints again, Trevor Cobbold. Hello, Henry. Um, you're up in Canberra. We're down here in Melbourne. We were talking off air about it. Uh, how are things up there in these tough times? It's a good place to be, Henry. Yes. We're <laughs> no, case, no cases for months. <laughs> no, and we're trying to get ourselves an invite to your lovely place and enjoy your excellent <laughs> hospitality with no luck. <laughs> uh, well, I did offer a campsite. <laughs> we'll be there. <laughs> uh, getting down to more serious matters, um, Trevor. Uh, Save Our Schools uh, put out very recently an education research brief called Beware False Idols of Education Excellence. You might like to give us an overview of that paper because it's, uh, it's a very interesting one and it uh, looks at uh, high-stakes testing from a different perspective. Oh, it's actually low-stakes testing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is actually. Um, well, I guess it's just to start from the background for listeners are not familiar with some of these terms. But as... as People would at least be aware that the OECD runs um, what are called PISA tests, Program for International Students Assessment, every three years. And the results are heavily awaited upon, heavily commented on, and these result, the, the, and they use them to uh, compare education progress in countries, and I think last count, there's about 70 countries participating, including the 36 OECD countries. And the results, as I say, have got have, have come to have incredible status and, and, and extraordinary influence. And the result, and everyone points to them, Australia's results have been declining steadily since 2000, 2003. And you get conservative commentators and even some middle-of-the-road commentators saying, this is terrible. We've been increasing expenditure on schools, but we're seeing declining results. And I have to admit, I've, I've been one to always use the results um, to show, to give an indication of the state of Australian education. Um, but I've come to realise that Students don't always try in these tests. That, in fact, there's no incentive for students to try because they don't even get the results. They don't count towards any certificate or or end of year twelve results. Uh, and I should also add these these are for fifteen. The tests are for fifteen year old students, and seventy percent of those students are in year ten. And and the fact is that there are, across the countries, there are various proportions of students who don't fully try. And even in the OECD's result, uh, report on the PISA 2018, it, found, it actually admitted that two-thirds of students in the OECD countries don't fully try on the tests. And there's quite a big range from country to country. For example, 80% of students in Germany didn't fully try. 
and some 73% of Australian and New Zealand students didn't fully try. And this compares with under 50% of Korean students who have better results in Australia, by the way. So the question is, how much faith can you put in these results? And this, and this, this idea that students don't fully try on, on what are called low stakes tests, and they're low stakes because there's no, there's no consequences for children, for students, in terms of how well they do. And so in combination with those results, there's actually a big academic, a growing academic literature showing that the motivation for how hard you try in tests has a, has a very significant impact on student results. It certainly does. Um, so why don't they? Why don't they try? And I, from reading the the report, there's a variety of reasons for that potentially. Uh, Trevor. Well, it's there's not one of the the, the the basic reason is why make an effort to do this when there are no. I don't get anything out of it. Doesn't count towards my year twelve results. Doesn't count towards any certificate in year ten. It's just another test I have to go through in school. Mm. Why, why, should, why would I bother? It, it, um, it begs a question, why then in some countries does the motivation for students appear to be significantly higher than the motivation for students in other countries in a low-stakes test? That's the, the good, that's the basic question, and we don't know the answer to that. We have no real research evidence to show why the rates differ in different countries. We have some indirect evidence, and that is the OECD PISA also does a survey. When they do the tests, they also do surveys of students on, on the extent to which they feel they belong to school, belong in school and get on with others. In, in a sense, it's a measure of alienation of students. And this varies considerably across countries. It's quite high in Australia compared with many other countries. In fact, something the, the results show that something like one third of students, Australian students, are dissatisfied with school. And that's increased markedly since 2000 when it was about, I think it was about 7% or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head, but, but certainly between 2000 and, or 2003 and 2018, the proportion of students who feel not connected with school has increased for about fourfold over that period. So if there's such significant dissatisfaction with school, you'd hardly expect those kids are going to try their heart out on the tests. And so if there's, if there's differences across country in student dissatisfaction with school, as the data show, there's considerable variation. And as the data show, as, as those results show, in the case of Australia, the dissatisfaction rate is increased fourfold. To me, that helps explain some of the differences between 
countries in test results and the decline some of the, and it goes some way towards explaining the decline in test results in Australia over time. Now I don't say that's the only factor because there are other factors involved in in comparing why why test results differ over time and between countries. But certainly from this evidence, it looks like you know, student dissatisfaction with school or student alienation from school is a factor that we failed to take account of in jumping to comparisons between us and other countries and, and comparisons with our results over time. It, it, it raises an interesting question. Um, where's this dissatisfaction emanating from? Uh, we, we put a lot of money into education. We, we rank it very highly as an important endeavour um, across our country and other countries. And what's driving kids' motivation at school down? That, that's an interesting one too, isn't it, Trevor? Oh, it's, it's, it's a certainly a critical question and I don't know the answer to that. You may have more, and you and your colleagues may have more um, anecdotal, um, an anecdotal picture of that in terms of experience in school. I, I don't know, Henry. Mm. Um, it seems to me that's a, a thing for professionals to answer, um, yes. because I haven't seen any, I haven't seen any data or research that that explains what's happening. And mm. it, a lot to do with uh, increasing inequality over time. Financial stress on families, um, difficult situations in families that seem to be increasing over time. Um, and I'm reminded of a, an article that Parsi Salberg, who's Professor of Education at Legonski Institute of Education in New South Wales, and a world-renowned scholar who, who argues that the circumstances of children are changing from what they were 20 years ago. He, he, he thinks teenagers are not what they were, they were 20 years ago. Now, I've got no, no direct uh, experience with that, but Parsi is a man who, mm. who keeps in touch with research worldwide, and he thinks there are, there are bro a broad range of challenges to student well-being and health nowadays compared with 20 years ago. And that may be, that may be a, a, well a factor. Mm. Oh, look, anecdotally, um, that's, a, that's a discussion that colleagues and myself have regularly, and that is we do see, um, anecdotally, a, a, a substantial increase in students with uh, challenging mental and well-being uh, issues and families too, Trevor. And, of yeah, course, yeah. Uh, and that has a ripple effect across the whole school because um, uh, people who are not in a good state uh, can behave in ways that impact on, on everybody oh, else. Oh, yeah, 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 mm. yeah. yeah. And I, I think a growing, the growing inequality, or at least at the at the bottom levels of wage of wage levels, you know, we're basically seeing stagnation in wages while prices have been going up. In the last couple of years, they haven't gone up much. But if you look over over twenty a twenty year period, there's a disconnect between the growth in the real growth in salaries, and that you know that that is probably putting a lot of financial stress on many families. 
Um, Pazi Salberg also um, comments on the use of technology by students as possibly a factor in this. Uh, that's right. That's matter. right. That's yes, a fascinating that, point. Yes, yes. He, he thinks that students are much too distracted by modern technology and, you know, it raises the issues of how you use technology in school, how, you know, what the, what the rules are about using your phone in school. Uh, I, I, mean, I don't know the detail of that, but he thinks that that this that 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 later generations of students are more distracted by 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 technology than in previous previous cohorts. That's mm, it. There's a lot of issues in there, um... and I think it's and I think Henry, it's inadequately researched. I mean, maybe I'm missing a whole lot of stuff um, because I'm not a professional educator. But I'm not seeing any easy answers about that at all. No, I I, I don't. And and I think uh, the point you made at the beginning, um, the fact that we put such value on um, on the statistics from tests, which perhaps uh, have very very limited value, and that drives a lot of our educational and funding decisions in education, perhaps in the wrong direction. That's a, that, yeah, that's a yeah, that's a discussion yeah, to be had. Yep. Yeah. And the other, I mean, I, I did mention the, the twin comments that people make: our funding, our our results are declining, but funding's going up. Well, they, even that's a well, basically a deception. Yes, funding has increased, but it's going into the private sector. The public sector is actually not benefiting from it, and they carry over eighty percent of disadvantaged students. And something like 90 to 95% of disadvantaged schools are in the public sector. So the public sector is not being properly funded uh, and not increasing at the same rate as the private sector. Then it's pretty, it's pretty hard to argue that our results are going down because funding is going up, despite funding going up. That's mm, interesting. One of the things that's interesting in that stat, uh, in that paper you've presented there, um, Trevor, is that the decline in PISA results for Finland is similar to that for Australia, but the increase in student satisfaction at school was yes. that in Australia. Yes. But Finland in recent years had been held up as one of yes. the shining lights in terms of PISA results. And Parsi Salberg actually initially wrote on the back of Finland's extraordinarily successful yes. education That's system. Right. Yeah. That's right, yes. It's interesting yes. how the wheel has turned and what might be the reasons. Well, a couple of... I mean, I don't know the Finnish... Excuse me. <clears throat> I don't know the Finnish education system uh, to any great extent. But a couple of figures I, I looked at in preparation for this for this article, is that funding's actually gone down in Finland. They've had cuts to school funding, and they've also had a large. Although the proportion the immigrant proportion of the population is still quite small, it it has actually increased quite dramatically in the last in the last decade or so. And so, if funding's been cut, and you have a growing proportion of highly disadvantaged students from other countries in terms of refugees, then then in a sense you're not surprised you're not surprised that results are declining. No, no. And and add to that, I mean, having said they're not that students there are not as dissatisfied as they are in Australia, 
but there has been some increasing student dissatisfaction as well. Uh, you know, that, that that's a combination of factors that help explain what's going on in Finland. But I wouldn't, you know, given my lack of knowledge of this, I wouldn't I wouldn't say more than, you know, these are suggestive factors. Mm. Time's got away from us, uh, Trevor. Uh, what, what, given this information, what should be the next step in our inquiry in terms of uh, making sure that uh, we, we, well, we're, we're getting uh, good information about children's results and we've got our education systems heading in the right direction? Well, I think there's some cause for optimism that, that, that these 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 pick these these results you know are always seen as doom and gloom. But as I said earlier, these are largely results for year ten students. You look at our year twelve results, and they're actually improving. We're having a, a higher proportion of students complete year twelve, and we're seeing a bit of a narrowing of the gap between low. Socio, students from low socioeconomic status families compared to high. And so there's a big contradiction between PISA results for year 10 and our improving results in year 12. And people don't, rec- people don't look at this. It's all doom and gloom because of PISA. But you look at year 12 and, yes, we need to do better, but we, ha- we actually have been doing better over time. Maybe one of them, the lessons is to look at evidence that um, that's uh, that's got a more has got more efficacy about it in terms of what we're. Yeah, I achieving. mean, year twelve, year, year twelve, achieve, year twelve results are high stakes. They are. High <laughs> they stakes. influence what happens. They influence what happens in. They have big consequences for your future, mm. and and even people students with dissatisfied with school seem to try a bit harder in year twelve than they do in year ten. That's a good point. Trevor, as always, uh, you to be commended on the great work you do on behalf of um, public education, but I think in this case education per se, and uh, your work is always backed up by, by valid research. Uh, uh, congratulations on that and, and um, look forward to the next instalment from one of our top um, public education advocates. Thank you very much, Henry. My pleasure. That was Trevor Cobbold, as I say many times, a great advocate for public education, and he brings rigour to the debate about uh, all the stats that surround uh, student achievement, both here and international. Trevor is the national convener for Save Our Schools, and you can check out that and many other briefs on their website. We'll take a short break. Listeners, don't go away. (laughs) 